Lawyers always need to be on top of their game, or at least appear to be. It can feel overwhelming to recognize or admit when we aren't, and even harder to reach out and get help. Welcome to Sidebar, brought to you by North Carolina's Lawyer Assistance Program, where lawyers help lawyers by sharing their experience, strength, and hope as they delve into their personal journeys of recovery. Hey everybody, this is Robin Moradies, the director of the North Carolina Lawyer Assistance Program. Today we're going to be talking with Gina, a great and dedicated lab volunteer. Gina, so good to have you with us here today. It's so good to be here, Robin. So let's start out. Tell me a little bit about how you first learned about the Lawyer Assistance Program. Well, I had a law partner who was a member of the Lawyer Assistance Program and was a volunteer. And I had great uh, respect for this law partner, and he happened to be my direct mentor. And we had talked about how he got into LAP, and I was just really impressed with how much he had grown through LAP. And he talked about how much better life had become for him when he had stopped drinking and began working the 12 steps. Also, the LAP monthly luncheons were in the building that housed our law firm. And once a month, he would bring back this big bakery box from the luncheon with a, this sinfully delicious cake in it. And so, you know, I was always intrigued about these meetings and these lunches that they had. But for me, since I had never had a substance abuse problem, even though I could relate to a lot of what he talked about, what was underneath his substance abuse problem, I thought for a very long time that there wouldn't be a place in lap for me. I love how you phrase it in your article that you didn't have the bona fides. Right. That's right. Yeah. Like I said, I never had a substance abuse problem. I also, even though I struggled with perfectionism and I think catastrophic thinking and some shame and issues like that, kind of an imposter syndrome, I looked like I was keeping everything together on the outside. I never had problems with timeliness. I was always doing things ahead of time. I never showed up late to anything. Uh, my clients were very happy with me, but on the inside, I was struggling. But, you know, again, I thought I didn't have the bona fides for lap because I didn't, I wasn't in a gutter and um, I wasn't being disciplined by the bar. I didn't have any client complaints. So I just didn't know whether there was a place for me. Well, and in your article, you describe some things that happened to you very young that were indicative of something going on. Tell us about that. Sure. Well, for example, and uh, this is a little embarrassing to admit because, you know, looking back, it seems like such a small thing, but I was in a lot of musicals when I was a kid and back in eighth grade, I was in, in a play and my voice cracked on one note in the stage performance and I, it just rocked my world. I mean, I sobbed for weeks out of humiliation and shame. All I could think about was that one bad note, not all the rest of the notes that I got right. And I was embarrassed to be around people and sing on stage again after that. And things like that happened at other times. I have another example. I, uh, we had these exams at the end of a course in, in high school and several courses that were called regents exams. And I got a 99 on my biology regents exam. And I 
lost it, like what happened to that one point. And so that was very typical for me is always focusing on what I missed, what I got wrong, the mistake I made, as opposed to everything else that I got right. And I just was filtering everything with such a negative view. That tends to cause a little bit of anxiety. (laughs) That's right. Yeah. And that's really what pushed me to to look into lab and, and see if there was a place for me because the anxiety over time got worse, I think. And it was it seemed kind of incongruous to me because the further along I got in my legal career, the more, you know, accomplished that I became, the more I felt like an imposter and that I was afraid I was gonna lose it all. And I, you know, my fear of failure, I think, got greater Mm -hmm. than it had been in the beginning of my career. Mm -hmm. And the, the symptoms that I experienced were that I began to have terrible insomnia. And I saw myself ruminating about things. You know, I started to feel kind of irritable, I think, because of that and also the insomnia. And I did have some like out of the blue panic attacks. Mm -hmm. And uh, so those were kind of the the symptoms that were telling me something was going on. And I think that ultimately one of the major problems was that I was so attached to outcomes and to trying to control the outcome, you know, and as a lawyer, that's a dangerous thing. I mean, there's so much out of your control. And I think what LAP taught me through the meetings and through working the 12 steps is to shift my focus from the outcome to the input, what I can do in a situation, and then let go of the outcome because it's out of my control. And and that was so liberating to me. And now it's surprising that I didn't realize that, but I underwent like a major shift in my thinking through being involved in lab. Well, and you bring up a really interesting point. You talk about working the steps and yet you don't have a substance use disorder problem. So tell me a little bit about why you decided to work the steps and how you found them beneficial. Sure. I decided to work them because of my sponsor, who I was put in touch with very soon um, after coming to the first lap meeting. Nikki Ellington put me in touch with this wonderful woman who started coming over to my house once a week. We had this kind of Saturday standing date and she would come over and I would make lunch for us. And we would talk about what was going on and she encouraged me to work the steps. I was a little bit apprehensive at first. I thought, well, I don't know how they're gonna relate to me because I don't have a substance use disorder, but the acceptance and turning everything over to my higher power and realizing that I'm not in charge of everything that I'm always trying. I was trying to be the director and the producer of my, this play in life. And, and that, that wasn't getting me anywhere, you know, was just so helpful. And so I really felt the steps, even though I have to say there are things when I read the big book that I didn't quite relate to, All in all, I really got a lot of good tools out of working the steps. We would say you sort of worked the steps more on the Al-Anon side. Would you say that that was the case? Yes, I think that's accurate, yes. But even though you didn't have any alcoholics in your life? No, I I did not, although my father, I would say, could be like a a rageaholic. And I had 
I've been to Al-Anon meetings and I can relate to how adult children of alcoholics have felt. My house was somewhat unpredictable because of my father's moods. And I spent a lot of time trying to make sure he was okay and my mom was okay and my siblings were okay. So, and I spent time covering up for his moods and his outbursts. So I can relate a lot to, you know, adults who had an alcoholic parent, I think. That's interesting. It's funny. We were just having a, I don't think you were on it. We did a speaker meeting on Friday. I was. I did actually. Uh huh. Yeah, we were talking about that idea of lawyers are hired to force solutions mm-hmm. and to be in control of outcomes, and yet it's a paradox that the more we understand our role, the more effective we actually become. We don't become less effective advocates; we become more effective. But it's a really hard. Thing to accept when once you realize that you're really not in control of the facts and you're really not in control of the law and you're really not in control of the outcome, it sounds like an abdication of our responsibility, but it's just a shift in mindset that kind of frees us up internally to be really effective advocates. It does. I completely agree with that because it, for me, it frees me up to be more flexible just to pivot better, to have more confidence when I'm not thinking I have to hold on so tight, you know, to try to control the outcome. Mm -hmm. I definitely have experienced firsthand that shift in thinking and how liberating it is. And just to give it over and realize, look, I did my best. Now I can move on and I can accept the outcome no matter what it is, knowing that I did everything I could. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, in your article, you also talk about some recent difficulties with your family. I know your dad has passed. How are you dealing with those issues, uh, particularly with your mom's health now? I feel like I'm dealing with it well. And thanks to, you know, the lab meetings that I try to attend weekly and just all the tools I learned, I I have a lot of tools in my toolbox. and, And sometimes my tool is just to do the next right thing, you know, whatever that is, whether it be just pause before I react to something or get a massage or exercise or, you know, go outside for a walk. I have had a difficult time after my dad got sick and passed away. My mom started to have some health problems and she's had a surgery that's had a tough recovery. And even this weekend, she had a, a bit of a setback and she's she's dealing with some chronic pain. You know, I have to love her and, and help her as much as I can, but not get so enmeshed in how she's feeling and realize that I, again, it's another example of I can't control the outcome. I can be as supportive to her as possible while keeping boundaries and I can let her know how much I love her and I can do research and offer suggestions, but I can't, you know, take away her pain and I can't fix her. I'm not, you know, anyone's savior. So that's been difficult for me because I have a very close relationship with my mother, but I think it's most helpful to her 
when I'm taking care of myself because I can't be a good supportive daughter to her if I'm, you know, not sleeping or not feeling well. So is there anything else I haven't asked you about that you would like to share? Well, one thing I had been thinking about it is I would really encourage not only folks with mental health issues that don't include substance abuse to get involved in lab, but also women to get involved in lab. Now I will say, I think there are more women in my lab group now than there were four or five years ago. But that's one thing that I noticed when I joined lab is that it seemed like there were a lot more men in the group than women. That's true. And I don't know <laughs> what that's about. I just think that it's important for women to make time for themselves and to consider their self-care to include reaching out for help and joining LAP if it's appropriate. We do the annual report every year. Gender statistics stay very consistent, which is about two-thirds men and one-third women. It's always in that range. It moves very little. It's more of a male-dominated profession. I mean, they've done studies about the fact that law students are about 50-50, or in some law schools, even women outnumber the men. But once in practice, a lot of women leave practice. There's only one study that I know of looking at why women leave the profession. It's called Stress, Drink, Leave, and the results were published in May 2021. I'll put it in the show notes. It found something like 25% of women in the study contemplated leaving the profession due to mental health reasons like workplace stress and burnout, as opposed to something like 17% of men. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And I don't know, this could be wrong, but I wonder too, if women sometimes don't take time for, for themselves to do something like reach out to lap or they're, they're trying to keep it all together and be, you know, yep. the superwoman. Be all things to all people. Right. You know, or juggling so many, so many things. I've got all these dishes spinning in the air and they don't feel like lap is one more thing they can do. And that might not be true, but it's just something to think about. Yes. We're always looking for women and women volunteers. Well, you've always been a superb contributor to sidebar. Now we've got you on the podcast. Sure, I enjoyed it. Thank you, Robin. Thanks for being with us today. Thank you for joining us at the Sidebar. If this is your first time, we encourage you to listen to another episode or two, subscribe to our newsletter, and peruse the resources at www.nclap.org. And if you know a lawyer who could use a hand, please share this episode with them today. Remember, at Sidebar, you are not alone. In fact, you are in quite good company.